Hello there, Bob Chrysler. And hello to you, Devin. Good to see you today. Nice to see you too, and welcome everybody to Insight Peterborough, which is a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind, the chapter here in Peterborough. And if you want to get hold of them, you can email them at ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. All right. Well, um, this is the uh, first day of uh, autumn. Are you sad to see summer go, Bob? Well, you know what? There is a lot of uh, fall coloring that I've noticed. And I'm sure, uh, Devin, if I were to head north, that I would even see more trees in their full fall color. You know, I was kind of surprised. I I was up at Lake Joseph this past weekend, and I heard only one mention of the fact that the leaves were changing color a little bit up there. Well, I'm sure that, um, you know, I, I would just like to take a trip up through Bancroft and Coe Hill and up mm-hmm. through that area and just uh, enjoy this not only the trip, but the scenery up in that area for sure. Well, as you know, we like to play as much Canadian content on this station as possible. And I was looking through my autumn folder and I could only find one uh, song that was by uh, Canadians. And it's Gary and Dave and they're singing It Might As Well Rain Until September. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of depressing, but shall we start that way? Why not, Dave? was uh, Gary and Dave. Gary and Dave. Yes. Haven't heard from them for a long time. Anyway, one day uh, in early summer, it may have been even late spring, I got a phone call out of the blue from Hearing Life Canada, and they wanted to know if I would be interested in a free hearing test. So I thought, well, hey, 
I haven't had one for eons, and I'm a senior now, so why not? If it's free, why not? So I went and uh, got my hearing uh, tested, and uh, fortunately, I still have pretty much as uh, good hearing as I ever did. And while I was there, I said to Kelly, um, why don't uh, you come on uh, Insight Peterborough with us in September, and, I, and we can talk a little bit about hearing loss. So with us today, we have Kelly Keene from Hearing Life Canada. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me today. <laughs> Glad you could come. Yeah, wonderful. How uh, prevalent do you figure hearing loss is? Well, there's actually been um, a lot of research on that, a lot of research on this field in general a lot lately. Um, Stats Canada is showing that 20% of Canadians have hearing loss, and that's wow. all ages across the board. Um, and that's the most recent number we're seeing. Uh, once you get over the age of 60, that number creeps up to about 47% wow. of Canadians that have hearing loss. What would be some of the causes, uh, say, in younger people to begin with? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of causes for hearing loss. Um, a lot of people think it's something that someone actually did to themselves to cause the hearing loss, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of genetic issues that can cause hearing loss, um, especially in younger individuals. Uh, a lot of noise exposure as well can cause a hearing loss. Mm -hmm. uh, Age-related is very common as well as we get older, uh, but we see a lot of individuals who've worked in factories uh, most of their lives, work in construction. Um, even at a young age, uh, when they start when they're 16, not everybody wears hearing protection and can cause a lot of damage to your ears. And well, That would be uh, any kind of occupation absolutely. that, you know, a lot of noise around. Mm -hmm. A lot. It's not just factory construction workers. Even we're starting to see things like people working in restaurants or bars uh, wow. expose a lot of noise uh, throughout their shift. Uh, and a lot of people like to go to concerts and listen to their music loud. Really loud. <laughs> really loud on a regular basis. And we're going to start seeing those effects as well. Or in their cars. In their mm -hmm. oh, it's towns. crazy. Mm -hmm. When you can hear the song playing in the next car. It is true. That, that's a sign that it might be a little bit on the loud side. Yes. Yeah. Do you find that much of the hearing loss is due to, say, uh, childhood ear infections and that sort of thing? Uh, not as much as you think. Mm -hmm. um, it can have some lasting effects. Uh, we're seeing more of those individuals f who had things like rubella or had serious ear infections that didn't get treated mm -hmm. a lot uh, when they were younger. Um, obviously medic medicine has advanced quite a bit and we can do a lot to help that as children um, but not as many people that have that kind of effects uh, cause for hearing loss these days. Yeah I guess because there is such good medications and uh, people are maybe more inclined to go to the doctor, do you think? Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. It's being caught a lot earlier and treated more efficiently for kids these days, for sure. Yeah. And I noticed that the uh, hearing aids themselves are not as ugly. <laughs> That's as, a good way to put it. it. To That's very true. Uh, technology moves just like any technology cell phones, cars, all those things. The hearing aids are getting smaller and more attractive, um, and more people want to wear them when they're like that. Mm -hmm. I had heard that if you go to a concert or are exposed to some kind of loud noise and you come away from it and your ears are ringing that that is a sign that some damage has been done. Is that right? That is actually true. Uh, if it's permanent damage, we're not sure, and it depends on how often uh, you have that exposure, but it's called temporary threshold shift where you mm -hmm. kind of have a hearing loss after leaving a concert or, and your ears are ringing like crazy yeah. um, and you feel like you can't hear. It's, it's actually your hearing is reduced because you did a lot of damage to your little hair cells in your ears. Mm -hmm. um, it can bounce back, but if you're doing that repeatedly, multiple times a week, uh, sometimes they don't come back. How about um, people like myself? <laughs> that do the bad thing of putting Q-tips and that in their ear. What mm -hmm. about that? 
that's a very thing a very common thing we're all love the feeling of cleaning our ears with q-tips uh, the problem is when you do have wax in your ears and you push q-tip in there you're going to push the wax even further and you impact it and wax can become like cement uh, and the more you pack that in the harder it is to get out and how do you what would you recommend instead of Mm -hmm. using my q-tips mm -hmm. it's it's hard to get away from q-tips because i know they feel really good um but there's uh actually our ears are supposed to be self-cleaning um it's supposed to let the wax come out on their own that doesn't happen for everyone um but having using things like drops of oil uh, mineral oil even olive oil in your ears to soften the wax at nighttime, uh letting some you know, room temperature, body temperature, water run into your ears to help it flush out. But really having a doctor or even an audiologist or a hearing practitioner look in your ears regularly and and manage it. Uh, if you keep on top of it, then you don't have buildup happening. My, my big problem, of course, is the seasonal, seasonal allergies mm -hmm. and the ears itch, the eyes itch, all yes. that. You can even use even um, your finger, a cloth on your finger, with even a little baby oil, a little moisturizing cream to kind of just wipe your ear on the inside. It make, gives yourself a little bit of relief that in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I often find, I was noticing last week that uh, um, I have sinus problems and uh, my ear was feeling plugged, um, which is annoying for me because I need my ears. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> But uh, I yawned and uh, tried to um, equalize the pressure a little bit uh, that way, and it did seem to help, so I guess I'm lucky. That is good. <laughs> uh, you were explaining earlier as to how much uh, effort your brain has to overcome uh, when there is hearing loss. Maybe you might uh, tell our listeners uh, what we were discussing earlier about that. Sure, absolutely. Um, we're seeing a lot more, like I had mentioned before, a lot more research coming out on how hearing loss affects our brain. Um, there's a portion of our brain that we use to process sounds and speech to understand. Um, when you start to lose your hearing, um, you have to try that much harder. So you're using more brain power to try to fill in the gaps when you have a hearing loss. Uh, the more energy you're using, the more other parts of your brain through neuroplasticity, we start to take different parts of the surrounding area to use uh, of your brain um, to, to hear and to communicate. Uh, and the more effort you're using, the less you have room in your brain to do other things like when we're younger and we can do 10,000 things at once <laughs> um, you can think about doing you know your laundry and what we're gonna have for dinner and the shopping list I have or whatever it is uh, when you have hearing loss you have to fill in these gaps and constantly try to hear you have less energy to do those other things like higher decision-making so that's why we're seeing some connection as to why is untreated hearing loss making such a connection between things like dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What are the signs uh, that someone is uh, maybe having uh, the effects of hearing loss? It's, uh, there's a lot of signs that usually it's other people that notice it first mm -hmm. versus the person themselves. Um, they start to the, turn up the volume of their television. Um, we're asking people to repeat. That's that's a, a number one thing. Um, but also people are starting to sound muffled or mumbling or um, you'll say, you know, turn and look at me and talk to me. And, that or works. That, that, works. That's, that works. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's lots of little signs. Um, and the first thing that everybody starts to notice is that they have trouble following conversation when there's a lot of noise in the background, mm -hmm. like at a restaurant or a party. Driving. Uh, driving, yeah. And especially driving because you're facing forward, I hope, at least. Yes, uh, we um, hope so. Mm -hmm. So lots of little things when that the background noise really plays a role on trying to understand speech. And uh, maybe you might uh, mention your own uh, facility as to uh, what you do there and what you accomplish there. Mm -hmm. So um, I work at Hearing Life. Uh, we have two locations in Peterborough. We're all over Canada, actually. Um, I'm an audiologist there. Uh, we have, like I said, locations everywhere uh, in Canada, East Coast to West Coast. Um, and we're a facility that we treat hearing loss, we do hearing tests, we provide hearing aids and all the support and care 
afterwards. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you could do uh, regular checkups for people that just walk in maybe? Uh, we encourage you calling ahead because we, we do tend to book up pretty quickly. Uh, but we can do hearing tests on anyone of any age. Both of our locations, we can do um, children as young as six months all the oh, way wow. up to, I think my oldest client is 103 years old. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so wow. Do, do you require like a... Uh, a doctor's uh, referral? Uh, no, you don't require a referral call, at all. call ahead. Just give us a call, and we offer free hearing tests. So there's no obligation whatsoever. Um, if there's a hearing loss, then we will tell you your results, and we'll talk about it together, and if we need to do anything about it further. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you're lucky that way, Devin. I was lucky. <laughs> yes, I, I was. I don't often get to give good news, so <laughs> it is exciting. Yeah. So I, I was glad to hear that... Uh, um, that I wasn't uh, suffering any loss yet. Because mm-hmm. I, I find uh, that uh, my uh, family uh, seems to be prone to that sort of thing. And there's one sister, the one that's next to me, she doesn't, almost doesn't hear you talking on the phone unless she's specifically listening uh, for something. But you know how when a conversation is going on and... Uh, You'll make uh, kind of the odd comment in between while she's even talking. She doesn't even hear. She doesn't seem to hear when when I kind of comment on something she's saying while she's sort of speaking, well, while she is speaking. Um, is that a sign of hearing loss? It can be. Mm-hmm. Um, we see there's different types of personalities of people with hearing loss. Uh, there are people who become very passive and they start to withdraw from mm-hmm. the conversation altogether because they're not hearing, so they don't want to participate to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And then we have another personality where people do the opposite and they dominate the conversation. Oh, because yeah. then they know for sure they know what's being talked about because it, they're controlling it. Yes. Uh, so it can be, not saying for sure. Uh, but she should come in and get a check just to find out. Yeah, yeah, she should. There, I, sorry. There is a thing, though, that uh, some people are far more, shall we say, sloppy in their speech. And I don't know whether uh, an added uh, bonus of a hearing aid, especially if it's a partner, anything like that, uh, would come into play. Well, there's definitely people that mumble. There are people who do speak low or speak more monotone or speak or or do mumble. They don't speak clear. So people with a hearing loss, even the most expensive hearing aids in the world, can't always rectify or hear every word of, of that. Because there's two people in that conversation. That's what I always say. And the blame always gets put on the person with hearing loss. Yeah. Uh, but two people are, are communicating. So it's not always one-sided. Good. And I suppose that one of the things that people say when others say, you really should go get your hearing checked, <laughs> uh, I know my mother said, oh, I'm just not paying attention. When I told her I thought she should go get her hearing aid mm-hmm. or hearing checked, oh, I'm just not paying attention. It's a form of denial, I guess. It is. It can be. Uh, that's also ties into what I was saying earlier about how much effort it actually takes to hear. Um, when you have a hearing loss and it's taking, it's hard to fill in the gap. Sometimes it's easier just to forget about it and not even try. Yeah. And that's when people come saying, well, if I was focusing, I probably would have heard you. And that's true, mm. um, but because it takes more energy to focus on hearing. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. quite often, as you mentioned earlier, if you're looking right at the person, you're probably... A, reading their lips as much as Absolutely. hearing what they're saying. Absolutely. I, if we put even someone with a mild hearing loss in a test to actually do lip reading uh, to evaluate that, they're probably excellent. It's just what human beings do. We cope. We try to figure out ways to make sense out of things, and that's you just start to lip read without mm-hmm. even realizing it. And I think more people do it than realize that oh, they're absolutely. doing it. Eh? There, there are uh, schools uh, for the deaf. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I believe there's one in Balville, is there not? Yeah, not the closest so. one And one in, in Milton. Is there one in Milton as well? Uh-huh. Anyways, at these schools, uh, apparently um, they are taught not only sign language now, mm-hmm. but also taught uh, lip reading or stuff like that. But um, 
are there, for example, operations and things like that that say if you were uh, in that category that might uh, overcome your problem or any mm -hmm. problem? It actually, surprisingly, is a very controversial topic. Um, the the deaf community is very strong and they're very proud of being deaf and having their own, like I said, community and uh, amongst themselves. So for children, um, when they're growing up, they can often, surprisingly, a lot of children that are born deaf, their parents can be completely normal hearing and nobody in their family has hearing loss. Uh, so to decide how to raise that child, there's a lot of options out there, whether they want to be integrated with the average uh, child that is hearing, um, if we want to learn lip reading or if we want to learn sign language or which route we want to take. There's a lot of options out there and a lot of different opinions on which works best uh, for the children. Well, um, I've seen some people doing uh, sign language and it is really beautiful. It's very it really beautiful. It. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible to watch it and how expressive uh, they can be and how much they communicate just through the movements. It's, it's, it's very beautiful. That's the best way to put it. And facial expressions too, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a, it's not just a finger movement, it's whole body movement, mm -hmm. the facial expression. It's just, it's something to watch for sure. Both uh, Devon and I have uh, been at times to the CNIB for one reason or another, and we have met people at the CNIB that are both uh, sight handicapped mm -hmm. and hearing handicapped. And uh, like uh, what we'd basically see a double, a double whammy. Mm -hmm. uh, very difficult. Well, Helen Keller, I believe, yeah. was one of those. Yep. Yep. She was profoundly deaf and totally blind. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the way I feel when I'm in uh, a spot where there's loud music. I, I kind of get an idea of what Helen Keller must have felt like because I can't hear what's going on around me and I sure can't see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very challenging, so, for mm. sure. Yeah. I can feel it in your bones. You <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You feel the sound vibrating through you. I try to get out of there as soon as I can. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like us to understand? Um, well, there's uh, one thing that our, our company, at least, uh, we're our big sponsors of the Campaign for Better Hearing. Uh, our campaign is an advocacy program where we're trying to have everyone get their ears checked regularly, especially over the age of 60. Uh, trying to change the view that nobody really thinks to get their hearing checked until they have a problem. Uh, we wanna try to catch people early and or even get a baseline. So if you get a baseline like Devin did, as you can see, mm -hmm. and then in a couple years we do another test to see if things are changing. Uh, so this campaign has been putting a lot of effort towards that. Um, and for every hearing test that is done throughout the country, uh, we donated $4 towards the campaign and from that money, from that pool, we're able to then donate back to individuals who are less fortunate and provide them with hearing aids mm -hmm. when they're needing. Wow. And I, um, I think since 2015 it started. Uh, they've done. They've raised over a million dollars towards that fund, which is pretty wow. incredible. So that's a six. Over 600 people have been able to get hearing aids that otherwise couldn't afford them. That's great. Um, they can be expensive. They're very expensive. I won't pretend that they're cheap. So, if we can help anyone that we can, we want to do that. So, anyone over the anyone of any age get a hearing test. We're just focusing right now over 60, trying to get those people regularly in, uh, and just by showing up for a hearing test that provides four four dollars towards that That's campaign, which is great. Yeah, it is. It's our give back program. Do you find that um, I hear a lot of people saying, "I, I can't." I can't be in a noisy um, atmosphere with my hearing aid on because uh, I don't hear the person talking to me over and above the rest of the noise. Do you find that hearing aids are getting to be more discerning now than they were? That is the number one problem everybody has, absolutely, mm -hmm. with hearing aids. Um, they have gotten a lot better over the years with technology improvement, um, but hearing is so complicated, uh, especially in noisy situations. It's hard for hearing aids to read your mind, um, <laughs> to, to 
determine who they want to hear and who you don't want to hear. Yeah. Which someone with normal hearing is able to do easily. You can block out people you're not paying attention to and then focus on others. Um, so hearing aids, there's still a lot of room for improvement in that area. They're, like I said, they are getting better and I'm excited to see where technology is going to improve there because that's the number one problem for everybody. My oh. sister, sorry, Bob. I was just going to say, uh, if uh, someone were interested in getting, uh, say, into your profession, what would be the steps they would take? Uh, there's to be an audiologist, um, it is a required that you do an undergraduate program at a university, and then there is a two-year graduate program. Um, there's one in Ontario at Western University where I went to, and there is another one in BC and the other in Halifax. So. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also such uh, professions like hearing instrument specialist. Uh, there's a lot more programs like that. Uh, it's a college program, uh, but there's still requires schooling to be able to do to do this, and we have yeah. to be registered uh, with our college as well. Mm -hmm. And their guidance uh, teacher, I guess, uh, somewhere along the line, can direct them as to where they might. Uh, Proceed on that? Mm -hmm. Audiology is a very uh, small field. I mean, like I said, there's only three schools in Canada. Um, so it's not as popular amongst uh, students because it's not as well known because it is working with the senior population. Um, so if there's more awareness on being part of this field, even better for amongst students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a sister. She's uh, 94. And recently, she, and I'm nowhere near that, by the way. <laughs> That's good to know. Um, recently, she was given, given a hearing aid, and she can attach a microphone if she's talking with one person. Do you find that that is helpful? There's a lot of extra accessories available that they're creating that is to aid the hearing aids, um, things like that, like microphones. Um, so if you're in a noisy environment, you can use even an FM system uh, where you use the microphone and it goes directly into the ears. Uh, a lot of children will use that in the classroom mm -hmm. um, with the teacher's voice will go directly into their ears there's a lot of benefits to that yeah. um, but there's also a lot of fun stuff like bluetooth yeah oh yeah and hearing aids and rechargeable batteries and <laughs> and stuff remote controls and tv adapters there's a lot of things that they're creating to help <coughs> alongside the hearing aid but also <coughs> make it a little more fun to use as mm -hmm. well <coughs> and i understand that there's a lot of televisions now where you can uh, shape uh, the um, the kind of sounds that are coming from that television speaker. Mm -hmm, there is where you can adjust the bass or the treble, um, different things like that. So that's good to talk about it with your hearing practitioner as to what kind of hearing loss you have and how can you change your TV to give you the maximum benefit out of it. So does it all depend on what kind of hearing loss you have, whether you get a hearing aid that will go into the ear Totally, or whether you get one that fits behind the ear and that sort of thing? Absolutely. There's mm -hmm. different pros and cons to both styles. Um, and based on your hearing loss, your lifestyle, your age, um, how is your manual dexterity, lots of factors that play a role as to which ones you choose. When I was a kid, um, a lady that I was staying with had one where the the uh, main box of it, uh, she used to fit inside her uh, brassiere. Mm -hmm. do, do they sell those anymore? Um, it used to be the, the battery component you'd have to carry in your pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not like that anymore. No. That's definitely not something <laughs> <No>. you need. <laughs> um, no. It's all in the hearing aid itself. Yeah, thank uh, goodness. And most of them are little, very small button batteries that uh, fit right in. Not too big. I used to have a friend that lost hearing his hearing aids regularly because he'd bend over. He wouldn't have his hearing aid in, but he'd have it in his uh, vest pocket, and he'd bend over to do something in the garden. And uh, oh, it's out there somewhere. Just <laughs> getting fertilized by the plants. Yes, that's right. Well, that's it if they're so small, and they are, that if you misplace them, that's a problem. And that's part of the problem too. Um, the manufacturer could probably make them even smaller than they are, uh, but when you get so small and you can't see them or manually put them in your ears yourself or change the battery, uh, that becomes a problem as well. Yeah. So finding uh -huh. that happy middle point is where we're at right mm -hmm. now. 
You were mentioning um, getting used to uh, wearing the uh, hearing aids, and uh, I'm not <laughs> wearing hearing aids today, and part, part of that reason is that I'm still not used to the highs that I hear mm -hmm. from those uh, hearing aids. Mm -hmm. Um, the thing is with hearing, it's different and just to compare it to eyesight. If you get your eyes checked and you're given a prescription, you get your glasses and you can see better. Fantastic. And it's, it's you might have to tweak the nose or how it fits on your, on your face, but really it's pretty simple. Uh, with hearing aids, it's not that black and white. Uh, it takes time for your brain to adjust to the sound, to learn how to process the sound. Um, it's never that easy right away. Uh, some people take a lot longer than others to adapt to it. Um, I feel, personally, this is my opinion, uh, it takes an average of six months wow. for someone to be completely, the on average, completely satisfied and happy and feel like the hearing aids are really doing what they're that supposed to do. Comfortable, comfortable yeah. to wear and use. And use, and it becomes part of your daily life at that point. Yeah. That 94-year-old sister of mine, um, she complains that hers always ring. What could be causing that? That could be feedback, which is if you've ever heard someone's uh, hearing aid whistle because they're touching them mm -hmm. or they're buzzing at them. Uh, feedback is a... Actually, if you've ever seen like a band set up for a concert mm -hmm. and the microphone and the speaker are too close to each other and it causes that high-pitched sound, yeah. that's the same thing in a hearing aid. Uh, it shouldn't be doing it regularly. Uh, there could be something causing it, whether there's a lot of wax in her ears or something's clogged or it, sh it shouldn't be a regular thing. So she should probably go back to see yeah. her, her <laughs> professional to <laughs> find out what's causing that. Yeah. Well, some also have a little noise uh, that kind of alerts as to low battery. They do. They, I, pretty much all of them do. They, they play a little tune uh, <laughs> to let you know the battery's starting to die. So it doesn't just shut off immediately. Thank it gives goodness. you some time to, to get the battery to change. And only the person wearing the hearing aid hears that little tune? That's correct. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and I always yeah. make sure to play it ahead of time so people don't walk around the house trying to find where the sound is coming from. No. Because it's just, it's in their ears. They're not making it up. If somebody wanted to come in and um, um, make an appointment for a hearing test, what would be the best thing for them to do? Uh, they can definitely drop in or they can call uh, either one of our locations um, or we have a call center at... Uh, in Toronto with a 1-800 toll-free number um, that they can call and uh, any, all they have to do is just say they want a hearing test uh, and we'll collect some information from you. Uh, we always suggest it's good to bring a guest to your appointment as well if possible uh, for multiple reasons. Um, sometimes we end up doing a demo with hearing aids and it's nice to hear somebody else's voice that they talk to regularly oh, yeah. through mm -hmm. the hearing aids. Uh, but also it can be a lot of information to take at once. So sometimes, especially if you do have a hearing loss, if you're not catching everything, it's nice to have somebody else there. Uh, to be a second set of ears. Mm -hmm. So that's just something we've started doing and we see a lot of benefits from that. And yeah. Great. Well, you know, uh, Devin, we're running on time. Here. I know, I know. So give me a phone number and address or something where people sure. can. Uh, so my location's on 824 Cloncilla uh, Avenue. It's almost directly across the street from the clearing house and where there's a fire station oh, yes. it's often easy to drive by us the way the trees are um, and our phone number is 705-876-7188 that's my location okay. ask for kelly and you can ask for kelly or you can talk to carrie who also or tammy who works at the front desk um and they can handle everything for you all right thank yeah. you well, thanks so much for coming. Uh, I knew that you'd me. have a lot of information for us. So, Bob, let's play something All right. while we uh, talk. think about our, our next uh, guest here. Um, shall we do uh, Bobby Goldsboro in Blue Autumn? Why not? Just give me a moment. Okay. Yeah. Falling leaves of red and gold 
pretty colors, I am told But I see only shades of Because I'm losing you Blue autumn There's a rainbow in the sky But no matter how I try I still see only shades of blue Cause I'm losing you Such pretty colors I am told for all to see But falling leaves of red and gold Have all Like yours, I'll never know Other girls may come and go But I'll see only shades of you And all my autumns will be And that was Bobby Goldsboro with Blue Autumn. Okay, um, we won't spend a lot of time talking in between, but I will tell you that September has recently been proclaimed National Guide Dog Awareness Month. So I decided it was high time that I should interview someone from the school where Frankie is from and where Vester came from and my two previous dogs. So, uh, and there are a couple of us uh, from Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind here in town. And any of the dogs that you see with the uh, uh, slots in their heads to put coins in there for Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind. So I decided I'd give uh, Steve Doucette a call and he is the uh, assistant to the uh, chief operating officer of Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind, and uh, uh, so here's our interview. And I'll do the introduction um, at the, you know, when I'm live on air. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Well, first of all, Steve, thanks very much for uh, being on the program with us. My absolute pleasure. So we've heard a lot in uh, previous uh, episodes of this program about uh, the Lions Foundation and also CNIB. Maybe you could start by telling us where Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind is and how it got uh, going. Yes, by all means. So uh, in the early 1980s, we were still lacking a guide dog training organization in Canada. And uh, a few organizations were, were founded around the same time, but our origin starts uh, with uh, Bill Thornton and Jane Thornton, who are our two founders, and uh, they came from England specifically to start a guide dog training organization in Canada. So Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind was founded and incorporated as a charity. Uh, January 12, 1984 is the exact date, and July of that year we graduated our first guide dog team. Now, since that time, we're up to uh, uh, nearly 800 guide dog teams that have graduated. Uh, we introduced an assistance dog program, a very small program, in 2010 in the local Ottawa area. And that's where we're located, uh, in the south end of Ottawa. It used to be an independent village called Manatick, but it is now part of the city of Ottawa. And our national training center is located in Manatick. So all of our clients from anywhere across Canada actually uh, come to Ottawa for a three-week training course when they receive a guide dog. 
all expenses are paid uh, by the organization and we operate solely through donations. So in the beginning, it was a very humble beginning uh, when, when Bill and Jane uh, came to Canada. They started with uh, a rented townhouse and uh, converted the garage to a kennel. And uh, it, it literally started with, uh, you know, one person, one dog and, and big dreams. Wow. Yeah. And because it was new, uh, not only in the Ottawa area, but really to Canada, guide dog training was really new at this point. And a lot of people were very excited to be part of it. So there were a lot of people in the area that wanted to be involved as, as volunteers and, and raise puppies for us amongst other volunteer duties. Of course, uh, we needed, you know, funders and donors and people that wanted to be part of the uh, part of the, the, the founding of it and the groundbreaking of it. And, and whether it's, you know, on the board of directors or advisory roles or whatever the case is, there, were a lot, there was a lot of interest. And the organization flourished very quickly. So that rented townhouse uh, was only around for a few years, and shovels were in the ground in 1987, and our national training center uh, opened in 1988. All right. Uh, so now um, I take it that Bill and Jane had some guide dog uh, connections before coming to Canada. Yes, definitely. They they had worked uh, in the industry in the UK and uh, had a very uh, strong you know resume and, and, and background um, in order to to begin you know what was a very specialized uh, charitable uh, dream, so to speak. Mm hmm. So now you say that uh, you're funded solely by uh, donations. You don't get any government funding or any service club funding? That's correct. Uh, so that's kind of a blessing and a curse. The, the blessing mm -hmm. is, as a registered charity, we are independent and we can make our own decisions. Uh, basically, the body we answer to is the International Guide Dog Federation, uh, especially as far as training standards go. They make sure that everything's above board and we're doing things as we should. But we're allowed to make our own decisions in-house. There's no government interference. So that, I guess, is, is the blessing. The curse, of course, is the lack of funding. Yes. Um, so we have to get all of our own money. So we're lucky as, as a charity with, uh, with a lot of donors. We, we have our annual operating budget, and we don't have a lot of what I refer to as white knight donors. So we don't have somebody coming in or a corporation coming in and saying, here's a million dollars this year. Um, <laughs> But again, we, we won't be pulling the plug on any sort of funding like that. So the way we operate, really, we have a lot of donors and a lot of individual people in the community that give, you know, $20, $50, once or twice a year. Of course, we do have a few larger donors and corporations and, you know, corporate donors. But, but the majority of our funding comes from everyday people in the community who just, you know, love the idea of, of what we do. So whether it's, you know, the, the sole purpose of, of helping people and giving back independence and, and mobility and freedom to people, um, then we get people that unfortunately don't think of that part of it. They're more on the dog side and love dogs, but, you know, we're happy to, to take their donations as well, quite honestly. <laughs> sure, yeah. How do you think your training, uh, how, how do you think your training differs from what is being done in the United States where a lot of people used to get their dogs before you came along? Well, the credible organizations all fall under the umbrella of the International Guide Dog Federation. So training, training standards are very similar, but there are subtle differences with every organization. So what we usually say to people is, you know what, everybody has a personal choice as to where they'd like to go, whether it's in the U.S. or another organization in Canada, but why do they choose to come to Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind? And, and that's what we like to do is sort of toot our own horn and, and tell people what we think sets us apart. So one of the things that we, we think sets us apart is, first of all, our puppy raising program, our puppy walking as it's originally called the UK term, where people uh, as volunteers take a puppy into their home for the first 12 to 18 months of the puppy's life and teach obedience and socialization and lay a solid foundation and groundwork for the puppy before it moves into formal guide dog training. Now, a lot of organizations do that, but we feel that we have a very highly supervised program. So we even have people that have never had a dog in their life, and they come into us as a puppy-raising volunteer, and you think, wow, why would you want somebody with no dog experience? But they're they're a lot more willing to obey the rules and guidelines that we have, which, which of course, um, correlate to this dog becoming a guide dog. So because it's highly supervised, we don't just send our puppies anywhere. We're a national organization, 
but our puppy raising program sticks to the local Ottawa area and through to the greater Toronto area. And the reason for that is so we can highly supervise the puppies and the families that are raising them. And we feel that makes a better quality dog at the end of the day. And I've heard a lot of people really compliment our dogs as some of the best guide dogs within the industry, um, especially here in North America. One of the other things we feel sets us apart is our aftercare program. So lots of organizations, again, have have aftercare and follow-up, but it's something that's very, very important to us. We don't just, you know, train somebody and train a dog and give them a dog and say, here, you're on your own, call us when you need another one. We're we're there with immediate follow-up in their own community. Uh, We visit six months after they graduate, at least once annually, and, and we're there in between to resolve any issues. Of course, you know, Part of the economical way of doing it is to try resolve issues by email or telephone calls if we can. But in a worst case scenario, we travel to the person's home community and and work with them and their dog. So it's it's a lifelong relationship often for us. It's it's not just a case of okay, they chalk up another another dog and another client and here's another number to put on the tote board. It's it's a case of that person is now part of our guide dogs family at Canadian Guide Dogs and and you know we we often have people back for. Uh, you know, consecutive or, you know, retraining on, on consecutive dogs when people have been here for, you know, two, three, four, and even five dogs at this point since 1984. Some of our original clients have been back that many times, and, and often it's a lifelong relationship, so that's very important to us. I call that annual visit a, a driving test. Yes, a little bit, and, and you know what, that's a great analogy, Devin, and I, I often use... Um, car and driving analogies with with people in in the public because that's something that resonates with them and and what i usually say to people um that have no idea how things work is i say imagine if i you know 20 years after you got your license if i make you go to a driving test you'd fail probably if you drive the way you do every day people don't have their hands at at you know 10 and 2 or i think it's 9 and 3 now they're supposed to do they have the radio on they're eating a sandwich while they're driving People develop bad habits, and it's the same with somebody with a guide dog. Often they take shortcuts, and it might be something that works for them and that specific dog they're using, but it may not on the next one. Or it might be something that works temporarily, but you're actually developing bad habits that could become a safety issue down the road. So, so yeah, it really it really is like, you know, doing a driver's test all over yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do any uh, home training, like going to people's homes? Basically, we don't do home training per yeah, so um, unfortunately our time is of the essence, and uh, no, they don't do home training, and uh, so we'll have to cut that interview right there, but if you want to check out the website, it's guidedogs.ca, and make sure you put .ca, because if you uh, do uh, .something else, you'll get um, uh, maybe uh, in, in California, a school in California. Uh, so uh, they're in Manatech, and uh, they're a great school, great little school. All right, um, we're going to play a song by Doc Watson. He is a blind musician from the States, and it's called uh, When the Work's All Done this, this Fall. Fall. Yes, but before we do that, just let me remind you to uh, send in your questions so that we can ask the candidates for the federal election anything to do with uh, issues of of interest to people with disabilities. And you have until next Monday to do that. So um, uh, send them to insightpeterborough at gmail.ca, insightpeterborough at gmail.ca. Have yourself a good week. Bob, you have a good week. Thank you very much, and you as well, Devin. Thank you, and here is Doc Watson. Bye. One, a ballot from the days of the old west in America when the cowboy saw a pretty hard life. This is a song about an old boy who left home in his earlier years and had been working out there for a long time as a cowpuncher, wrangler, or cowboy. He had a whole lot of names they went by. And he was of mind to go back home once the roundup was finished. A song called When the Work's All Done This Fall. A band of jolly cowboys were expressing plans of ease. One said, I'll tell you something, boys, if you will listen, please. 
I am an old cowpuncher and the year-round dressed in rags. I used to be a toughen boys and I'd pick the risky jays. Yes, I have a home, boys, and a good one you should know. But boys, I haven't seen it since a fall long ago. I'm a going back to Dixie and I expect to see them all. I'm a going to see my mother when the work's all done this fall. My homeboys, my mother for me cried She begged me not to leave her For me she would have died Her poor old heart was breaking Breaking for me, that's all But with God's help I'll see her When the work's all done this fall That very night old Charlie Would have to stand his guard The night was dark and cloudy The storm was very hard Then the cattle all got frightened and they ran in a wild stampede He tried his best to turn the herd while riding at full speed He was riding through the darkness as loudly he did shout Trying his best to head the leaders and turn the herd about Then his saddle horse did stumble and upon him he did fall Charlie won't see his mother boys when the work's all done this fall You may have my pistol And Bill, you may have my bed Jim, you may have my saddle After I am dead Please ride my mother gently And tell her of my fall For I'll not see my mother, boys When the work's all done this fall Charlie died at daybreak No tombstone at his head There was nothing but a wooden slab And this is what it said Charlie died at sunrise, he died from a fall He's headed for that better range, he heard his master call 